In the name of God, Creator, Redeemer, and Giver of life. Amen. Amen. Our Gospel this morning has an interesting story about the disconnect between the life and interests of a 12-year-old boy and those of his parents. It's instantly recognisable by parents who have had an earnest and creative child who relentlessly pursues their matters of interest, often to the neglect of domestic or other matters important to the parent. So the story goes like this. Every year, Joseph and Mary, it says, went to the feast of the Passover uh, with a group of relatives and friends. And this was in Jerusalem, so they went from Galilee to Judea. It was quite a journey, in fact. After the festival ended, on this particular occasion, they began the journey home. They were one day into the journey when they realized that the young 12-year-old Jesus wasn't with the traveling party of uh, friends and relatives. Shock, horror, panic set in. So they turned back to Jerusalem. And only after three days, imagine how you feel as a parent, only after three days did they find him sitting amongst the teachers in the temple, listening to them and asking questions. And what's more, people around them were amazed at both his understanding and answers. The parents are astonished, not because of the sort of awe of the people around them, but because he is just sitting there with simply no conscience at all that he's caused all this trouble. Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them, it says. And he returned with them to Nazareth. And it says also that his mother treasured all these things in her heart, which is the same little phrase it has after the shepherds have visited. This is a really interesting story because it picks up a tradition about Jesus' early life that may be quite historically authentic. Most of the stories in the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel are a mixture of history, tradition, and myth. They refer to fantastic happenings, like the appearance of angels, spontaneously composed canticles, and a choir of heavenly hosts, to name a few. The, stories, the story appears to be sourced from a tradition that does not seem to be aware of or proclaim the virgin birth. Mary refers to Joseph as his father, and neither parent appears to have any understanding of why he's in the temple and asking the questions. It is in marked contrast to the stories earlier in, the first two, in, in these first two chapters of Luke's Gospel. These particular birth stories are unique to Luke. The birth stories only appear in Matthew and Luke, and they're quite different from each other. These Lutheran stories offer an interesting insight into how the early part of the Gospel was created. They show how different fragments from differing sources of different traditions and writing have been drawn together. 
So at the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, it's quite interesting to see what Luke is trying, or the author of Luke, is trying to say. And we know that, or we're pretty sure that, the same author wrote the book of Acts as well as the second part of the Gospel. But he says this, it's dedicated to a guy called Theophilus. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. So that's how the Gospel begins. He's brought together various traditions and he's put them into an ordered form so that they can be recorded and there can be some consistency. So the first one, so we're just dealing with these first two chapters of Luke. The first one is about the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. There's a priest, Zechariah. And on a particular day, this priest was chosen to offer incense in the sanctuary of the Lord, the inner part of the temple. There were a whole assembly of people on the outside of the temple praying while he's doing this. While offering incense, it says, an angel appears. He's terrified and overwhelmed. And the angel says, his wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. You will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will turn people to the Lord. Zechariah makes the mistake of asking, How will I know? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. The angel turns out to be Archangel Gabriel and says, Because you did not believe in my words, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day those things occur. So in the meantime, the people are waiting and wondering about the delay. And when he appears, he can't speak, of course, and is just motioning to them. And they realize he's seen a vision. I don't know that people would realize that today. <laughs> but in those days, they realized he'd seen a vision. I mean, sort of like the Maori world, people would recognize this. Elizabeth became pregnant, and she poignantly said, The Lord looked favorably on me, on me and took away my disgrace that I had endured among my people. So there'd been a sadness in their life that had been overcome. Then the Gospel cuts into foretelling the birth of Jesus. And of course everybody's much more aware of the story. The same Archangel Gabriel appears to Mary, who is immediately troubled. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The problem is, she's a virgin engaged to Joseph, and so she wonders how this will be. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy one to be born will be called the Son of God. Unlike Zechariah, she gives the answer the angel is expecting. Here am I, 
the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. So then it cuts into the next story, where Mary goes to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and she greets Elizabeth. And as Elizabeth hears the greeting, the child within her womb leaps. Now, women who've been pregnant told me that this is pretty painful when this happens, but anyway, the child leapt. And she, it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit and said the words quoted in the Angelus. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Of course, in the Angelus we had the word Jesus. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Mary responds with a beautiful song of praise, known as the Magnificat, or the Song of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which begins like this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he's looked with favour on the loneliness of his servant. Surely now uh, all generations shall call me blessed. The canticles were probably written much later in Christian communities, where people have had time to reflect on these events and endeavour to express their significance in music and chant. So then we cut back to the story of John the Baptist. Eight days after the birth, John was to be circumcised, and he was going to be named after his father Zechariah. But Elizabeth says, no, he is to be called John. And they said, as you would in a genealogically based society, but no one in your family is called John. Why would you want to do this? So they motioned to Zechariah, who's still mute, by the way, it's his nine months he's been mute. They motioned to Zechariah, and he asks for a writing tablet and writes, His name is John. They're amazed. And he immediately opens his mouth and his tongue is free. And he began praising God in the words we know as the Benedictus or the Song of Zechariah. Another category of the church was obviously written later in the reflection on these events. Then, of course, other verse stories. Uh, and the shepherds, which we've had read in the various services, the Midnight Mass and the services yesterday. We know these stories so well. The story of the manger, the story of the shepherds, the choir of the heavenly host. But we still haven't got to it this morning's Gospel, so this the last piece is that Jesus is presented in the temple. He's presented in the temple uh, as the firstborn male to Mary. There's a guy there called Simeon. He's a righteous and devout man, they say. And he'd been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. When Jesus' parents bring him into the temple, Simeon takes him into his arms, praises God spontaneously with the song we know as the Nunc Dimittis, or the song of Simeon, you recognize. Now, Lord, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Mine own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people. There was also an 84-year-old prophet uh, in the temple named Anna, who praised God and spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So these are all narratives 
in the first two chapters of Luke. These various narratives and later canticles or songs about the events are brought together in one text. They all contribute to the marvellous Christmas story as we know it. The chapter finishes with our gospel story about the 12-year-old boy Jesus in the temple. This is very different writing from the three years of ministry as outlined in the first three Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. Those stories follow from incident to incident. Although miracles uh, happen and claims are made, the narratives follow Jesus in real situations and capture the life and dialogue of ordinary people. The earlier stories about birth and growing up of Jesus are more otherworldly and mystical with extraordinary things happening. The exception is our gospel story today, which is clearly being plucked from a different source from the traditional virgin birth stories. It does not in any way set out to dispute the virgin birth. It simply seems to be from a source that is unaware of the virgin birth narratives. The Gospel stories consist of source documents that have been brought together by the authors. They've been drawn from different communities of faith in order to preserve the witness of the Apostles coherently. Our story today is about a plucky young boy who chose to follow his sense of calling over and above his parents' reasonable expectations. It's all part of the rich tapestry of Christmas and Jesus' earliest years. Some kids are prodigies, and it's reasonable to say he was probably one too.